Psalm 50 begins with God issuing a summons to his people. Out of Zion, that is Jerusalem, God comes with fire and a storm, a picture of judgment. The reason for judgment probably would have caught Israel off guard. Because in verse 8, God says, It's not for your sacrifices that I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Well, Israel was offering sacrifices to God all the time, apparently, so what's the problem? Isn't that what God wants from his people? You read through the book of Leviticus, and nearly half of it deals with how to properly sacrifice to God. He even puts two of the priests to death in Leviticus 10 for offering their sacrifices the wrong way. And there are many passages we could turn to where God is pleased with sacrifices or is angry because he's not getting them. So what's changed in Psalm 50? Well, in verses 9 through 13, God puts our sacrifices into perspective. He says that he already owns all the animals. There's not a bird he doesn't know or a herd that he can't claim as his own. And what practical value do these sacrifices have for God? He doesn't get hungry. He doesn't eat the sacrifice. And if he did, do we really think that we would be able to provide anything worthwhile for him? Verses 14 through 15 tell us of the sacrifices that God does want. Offerings of thanksgiving and dependence on God. Things that Israel obviously wasn't giving to God. The psalm addresses the old problem of our worship and our praise of God devolving into nothing more than routine. We offer the sacrifice, but we don't think about what it means. We don't see it as a way to give thanks to God for everything else he's given us, nor do we see it as an exercise in trusting God. He's given me so much that I can give plenty back with gladness. And we can make the same mistake in our own modern worship. It becomes an obligation that we're as eager to perform as a kid being told to clean their room. We worship out of fear. The only motivation we have is to avoid hell or punishment. Or it's just a mindless tradition that we've always done without any critical thought as to why we're doing these things. Well, God wants our worship to be a response of love and joy, to be a demonstration of our faith in his ways and our passion for him. That's the worship that God desires. But to those in verses 16 through 20, those who only recite God's laws but never keep them, they're called the wicked. They know so much about God, but they've never let him transform their hearts. They have the form of religion and godliness, but they delight in everything that God hates. In verse 21 to the end of the psalm, God warns these hypocrites. They thought that God was fine with this arrangement that they've had, sacrifices in return for a license for sin. But God's giving them a stark warning that unless they change their ways, then they're going to be torn apart. And these are words that we should mark as well. In our worship of God, if it's nothing but routine, without having any practical change in our lives, we stand to be torn apart. We can't go through our Bible reading and feel like that's enough. We need to let the word change us. Let the word inspire gratitude for God, and then we'll see his salvation.